Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Rita, your host. I'm very happy that you are able to tune in for today. And uh, this will be an amazing uh, Bible study because we are going to talk about um, to serve and to save. Salvation is also something in which God wants to involve us. I would like to welcome our panel and I'll start with Ken. It's good to have you with us, Ken, for uh, quite a while. We missed you on our panel, but it's good to have you back. Thank you very much indeed, Nick. Good to be part of this today. And Joe, it's good to have you joining us. Thank you, Nick. Yes, I'm happy to be here. Looking forward to it. Len, also very happy to have you with us too. Thank you for the welcome and hello, listeners. Lydia, thank you for joining Thank you so much. I feel very privileged to study God's Word. And Helen, you are uh, our facilitator today, and thank you for um, preparing this uh, Bible study. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. All praise to God. He brought us here. He takes us through, and what an awesome God we serve. All right, Helen, uh, we'll just, I wanted to pass it over to you, and please take us through. Thank you so much. I'm just thinking about last week when we went through Isaiah, we saw how God brought comfort to those who were suffering. In fact, it was called called comfort my people. Their time of trouble had ended. God was returning them. Rather than being discouraged and confused, they could trust God to use his creative power on their behalf. We dealt with Isaiah 40, but this week we're going to see how God predicted the future with someone Now, I was going to tell you the name, but I won't because we will find that out as we go. But it was many, many years before this person was born. I think it's an absolutely amazing prophecy. But wouldn't it be helpful to know what will happen in our future? You know, the book of Isaiah claims that God knows the future and that this unique ability is powerful proof that he is the true God. Because even though some people say they can tell the future, Their um, success rate is not very good, but God 100%. His revelations of the future to human beings is selective. He reveals enough for us to trust in him as the true God. Understand his work of saving us and cooperate with him by loyally following his instructions. Humans do not always understand God's predictions before they are fulfilled, but he gives them so that when the events take place, people may believe in him. I'm thinking especially here of Daniel 2 prophecy, how it was prophesied right through the ages with each nation. And we can look back in history and we can see how that came true. In fact, that gave me confidence and such faith, not only in the in God, but also in his word. But this week, we're going to look at Isaiah 41 to 49. But before we do even open the word, I'm going to ask Len to pray for us, please. Father in heaven, it's interesting that you have chosen flawed human beings to be your servants and to be people who will share the knowledge of God with others. And we're actually doing that now. We're sharing from your word and we just pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit might lead us to present the things that you would have everyone know. We pray too that the Holy Spirit will convict those who listen today and we invite your blessings on this program and all those who hear our voices today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Lynn. Well, Isaiah starts off this time, he's speaking of servants and let's go and explore as to who these servants are. 
Joe, would you please read Isaiah 41 verse 8? Yes, Isaiah 41 8 says, Helen, but thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. So that identifies who the servant is. And I like the, uh, the addition of the seed of Abraham, my friend. It just shows that close connection that God had with Abraham. I notice he also mentions um, my chosen one. Yes, Lydia. Yes, this verse, it refers to uh, the role of a servant as a nation. So Israel was a nation servant to the Lord. And later on, we will see that uh, the Lord uses the individual servant in the nation. Yes, he does. He uses individuals and he he also used uh, nations. He used kings and he used not only um, Christian kings, he used pagan kings as well which uh, I find extremely interesting in scripture. Okay. Did God choose Israel through Abraham because the people deserved it? Well, the Lord certainly chose the Israelites, but not because they deserved it. uh, I will read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, or 6, 7 and 8. Is the Lord addressing the people? He says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, because you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, I want to follow this up in chapter 9 of Deuteronomy, and I want to read to you verses 4 to 6, which say, After the Lord has driven them, that's uh, these pagan people, out before you, do not say to yourselves, The Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it's on account of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going in to take possession of this land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Now, the Bible's quite clear that the Lord bestowed his love, his special blessings on these people to accomplish his will, not because of anything special that they were, except that he did promise Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that his will will be achieved through them and their descendants. So I would like to apply this in a modern context. I can't say that God especially loves me. I know he loves me because the Bible promises that. But I am there to serve him, not him to serve me. And so these uh, verses point out that the Israelites were not there because of any great virtue they had, but because God chose them to carry out his will. And just to continue on that one, Len, uh, it's interesting that if we want to play with words, and, um, you know, um, 
uh, we yeah we we can explain in various ways. I believe personally when God chooses someone or gives to someone that uh, great commission, if you like, they are special. They are special. There's nothing like common. I mean, we are, we you may heard about those words, peculiar people. Now, doesn't mean that they they are superior to other people. And that's probably where the difference is. We are not superior. God's servants, God's people, in this case, Israel, or ourselves today, because we are going to represent God and to share the good news, the gospel, to those people who don't know him, as Israel was supposed to share the good news, the gospel with the Gentiles, then we are special people. And that's probably the, uh, we need to uh, kind of, you know, play around with these words, not to minimize that amazing opportunity to work for the king of the kings, for the lord of the lords, and to work for him. You must be special. Oh, amen. Amen. Ken, you wanted to say something. I just wanted to elaborate on a point that Ben mentioned, which I do think is very important, actually, and that is that uh, God is there not to serve us, as I believe many people think today, I think that uh, so many Christians today think that uh, God is basically there at their beck and call, and actually it's the other way around where they're actually we have the honour of serving Him. That's true. Thank you for that comment. Oh, I've got um, Len and then Joe. Well, I'm not going to um, contradict what Nick says, and I I understand he's picked up on a different issue than what I was discussing here. Yes, we are special when we serve the Lord. I agree. However, it's not because of any particular virtue that we may have, our education or whatever it is. God uses anyone who is willing. And I believe this is an important thing. If you are willing, God will use you and you become special because of the fact that you have taken up the cause of God to share his love with other people. Good point, uh, Len. That reminds me of a my favourite author, a statement. She said that there is no limit to the one who setting self aside makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit in his or her life and gives their heart wholly consecrated to God. There is no limit, not because we are limitless, but God is limitless. Joe, you wanted to say something. Yes, I, I, I understand what both Len and Nick are saying, and I think, it is a unique opportunity. It is a calling. It's it's unique. It's special. It's distinctive. It's remarkable. But in all that, one must keep their um, perspective and must remain humble. As Lynn said, we are so you know amazingly educated or capable. And I think as soon as we start thinking that we deserve this right to work for the Lord that we actually become uh, disqualified. We disqualify ourselves by our attitudes. And I think Moses mm-hmm. was the meekest of men, and yet he was quite a capable um, leader and general and um, servant of the Lord. So I think humility must remain at the forefront, a close connection with God like Abraham um, and Jacob. And that doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, as Len has said, that it's not that we are so somehow uniquely there's no intrinsic goodness in us, 
that God has chosen us. Um, so to remain humble. And I just want to just continue what um, uh, Joe is saying, because how can you marry these two things, you know, to be humble and to be bold, you know, because uh, this, this is something which uh, uh, we need to understand that to represent God and his truth needs to be done with boldness, because that's what the disciples did. That's what uh, uh, Moses did also, even though when he thought that he's not able or capable to represent God. But when God said, I will be with you. And um, God created the whole context there with his brother. We're not going into there. But that's what I'm trying to, when I say we can play with words to be one side or the other. The truth is that we, and when I say we, I don't mean to say we here in this group or a particular group, you know, but we, the children of God, those people who declare that they serve the Lord, they need to understand that they are a chosen people. Uh, Thank you, um, everybody. I'd like to remind you that when the disciples in the day of Pentecost, they were able to become bold. Why? Why did they suddenly become bold? They were still humble, but how did they become bold? They were filled with the Spirit. Amen. And I think there is is the answer. We all need to be filled with the the Holy Spirit. Okay. I'd like to ask the panel, although God chose the Israelites to represent him in the world, did they actually succeed in doing what God wanted them? Len? Yes. Overall, they failed, but there were a few bright patches amongst it all. I I think of... um, the reign of King Solomon, when the Queen of Sheba, who'd heard about the glory and the blessings that God had poured out on Solomon, she came to have a look for herself. But overall, I'm afraid the people failed fairly dismally. Okay, panel, somebody want to make another comment? Yes. I think that actually, to some degree, they were successful. I know that um, they fell well below the mark, as we do as well. But I think in God knew that this would happen and he had uh, strategies in place. And, you know, even when they didn't do what they were supposed to do, he had foreign kings doing it. He had, you know, he, he had a spokesman somewhere, somewhere on this planet at some point, at all points. And so I think that, you know, Jesus was born on time. Jesus died on time. The plan of salvation was carried out and that was successful. So they were probably dragged kicking and screaming half the time. But overall, we could say that it was a success and praise God for that. Thank you, Joe. Lydia? Yes, I think those who followed God's advice and precepts, they succeeded. And, yeah, those who were close to heart with God, yeah, definitely they succeeded. And those who departed from God, they failed. Can I just add the, to to that? I agree with the, what Joe and Lydia said, because God's plan was uh, fulfilled mm-hmm. through, through his people, through mm-hmm. Israel. And God's plan is going to be fulfilled through the spiritual Israel. Mm-hmm. Now, even though Israel is physical, and that's a good lesson for us all, they had, they saw God and they still, you know, 
rebelled and uh, walk astray. We need to learn that lesson. We need to learn not to make the same mistakes because those mistakes just caused a lot of pain for mm. God's people. Thank you, um, Nick. I, I'm very much reminded that God keep, kept telling them or reminding them what he had already done for them. You know, every time I think, uh, Lane, you brought that out in Deuteronomy. Now he, he mentioned about, you know, taking them through the Red Sea and what have you. And I think herein lies a lesson for us too. And I'm a great believer, not only in prayer, I'm a great believer in journaling in that, um, if we journal, we can often see how we might have a problem, but we can then see how God has taken us through that problem. And that gives us more faith to trust him when he asks us to dip our feet in the water again and do something else. So I think there is a, there's a remembering part here that they kept forgetting. You know, they got distracted and they kept forgetting. But let's continue. The Bible gives us guidelines on how we too are asked to serve the Lord. So I want to have a look at this, um, a few of these texts. And so we're going to have a look in Colossians, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Lydia. Yes, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord not for men, since you know that you will, you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And I remember that these are the words that my mother told me since I was little, and it resonated in my heart and in my mind till now. So in this way, we are serving the Lord representing him and his character in serving others. Thank you. That's that's where our service comes in, doesn't it? Yes. We're actually serving humanity, but it's really through God. And, um, and in actual fact, we're serving him. Thank you for that. So we're just going to look at a few texts on how we can serve him or how are we to serve him. Uh, Psalm 100 verse 2. Ken? Yes, sir. Uh... This is a very nice psalm, wonderful words. Psalm 100, verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. I think it makes it very clear here the way we should approach the Lord, which is important. We have to have a good attitude coming to the Lord. And I think sometimes we, we come before the Lord. Many of us come before the Lord. We have other things on our mind and we're not really fully thinking of the Lord, and perhaps sometimes we forget all the wonderful things he's done for us and all the amazing things he's going to do for us in the future. We should always be happy and glad that uh, we know the Lord and he's interested in us and is looking after us. Bless you for that. I'm, I'm very much reminded that some people, they serve the Lord out of duty and um, it can become a drudgery. I, I remember years ago speaking to a particular person who was very upset, felt like she had the whole world on her shoulder and the whole church on her shoulder, and she just grumbled and mumbled, and I finally said to her, I said, look, if you can't serve the Lord cheerfully or happily, step back, step back, because the Lord loves not only a cheerful giver in monetary ways but a cheerful giver with our service. We've got another text here. So first of all, we need to serve the Lord with the right attitude. Thank you, Ken, for that. Nick, Matthew 4.10, can you share that one with us, please? Yes, Helen. And this passage is in the context of Jesus' uh, uh, temptation. 
And um, it's interesting that in verse 10, it, Jesus says, get out of here, Satan. Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord, your God, and serve him only. We know from the Bible that we cannot serve two masters. And uh, we are into this temptation every day to serve, uh, you know, even ourselves, to serve uh, whatever we like. Or to serve, as it says in verse 10, the last part, to serve only your God, you know, the living God. And the rest of it, it will fall in place because God said, if you follow me, if you keep my commandments, you serve me, everything else will be given to you what you need. Thank you, Nick. It's serving him exclusively, isn't it? Mm. And by the way, that also means we don't serve ourselves. Correct. You know, a roundabout way, yes, because God gives us blessing. But we serve God first and foremost. Okay, how about Joshua 24, 8, 18? Joe, can you share that with us, please? Yes, I'm reading from the Living Bible, and it says, It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. Yes, we choose the Lord, for he alone is our God. And here we have Joshua saying, well, in Joshua, saying that you know we are serving God personally. He is our God because just before that, you know, they were saying for the Lord, our God is the one who rescued us. Um, of course, we're never going to forsake God. He preserved us from our enemies. And so, yes, we choose the Lord. He alone is our God. Beautiful words, easily and quickly forgotten. Absolutely. Um, what about 1 Corinthians 7.35, another way that we need to serve him? Well, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian believers, and this is the verse, 1 Corinthians 7.35. He says, I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Now, Nick already mentioned, quoted from the words of Jesus, no man can serve two masters. And this applies to, to everybody, including those Corinthian believers back then, to live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. You can't serve self or God effectively when you're trying to do both. It has to be God first. In fact, I tell people our list of priorities should be God first, last and best in everything. But when it comes down to priorities with people, this is the priorities in our home, God first, each other second, family third, other people afterwards. I don't know where self comes in here, but uh, this is the outward serving. So we must serve God without being distracted by other things. Thank you, Lynn. I heard another acronym once to have joy, J-O-Y. We need to serve Jesus first, others next, and yourself last. And that's just another way of saying it. But there is a, a text which I absolutely love in Joshua, and it tells us that we, we have a choice. And uh, it's Joshua twenty four fifteen. Lydia? Yes, it says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods 
of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So this was um, Joshua covenant with the Lord that him and his household will serve the Lord. He chose for himself as a priest of the, the house. Terrific. Okay. So God chooses us. He protects us. And we also have a very great promise. This is one that my um, second mum was her absolute favorite, Isaiah 41, verse 10. But we're going to read Isaiah 41, 9 and 10. Um, just share with us the promise, Len. Here is the Lord through Isaiah addressing the people of Israel. And he says, I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You know, although the Israelites, to a very large degree, didn't serve the Lord with all their hearts, and as I said earlier, probably failed in their mission rather miserably, still God chose them, and God chooses us. We are flawed. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and yet he still uses us to share with others. And sometimes we might feel, oh, this task is too big for me. But the Lord gives us this promise, don't fear, for I'm with you. So what does that mean? Well, God is infinite. He has infinite power and everything. So it's like having a, a, a huge resource to help us. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you. So this is a beautiful promise given to these people. And it also applies to his servants of any day and age, including right now. Thank you so much, Nick. You wanted to say something? Yeah, I just feel like to uh, to say something here in regards to a servant. Because probably we can be tempted to think that to be a servant means to to be like a slave or to, you know, uh, uh, the difference. In, in the case we are talking today, this is the privilege to serve the almighty God, the king of the kings. This is a privilege to be his servant. And as you go as a servant to deliver his message, you have, even comparing with the earthly rulership, you have that letters or, or that, uh, you know, that you are sent by the king. You are his servant, you know, to deliver a message. And this is where probably people feel a little bit confused because uh, I need to serve God. You know, I like to do something else. You know, I like to be like the people of other countries, Israel said. But, you know, you know, we are Israel, God's people. We need to serve God. They, I believe, approached that privilege of being God's servants in the wrong way. Thank you, Nick. It's interesting, though, even being his servant, how that text that Len read out gives us so much confidence. It's not like God saying, go and do this. I'm going to sit back and watch you do it. Or, you know, you're on your own. He actually says here, I am 
with you. I am is God. I am with you. And, you know, don't be discouraged. I am your God. I will. They're very positive words. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up. And how am I going to hold you up? Because my hand is victorious. I think that's just beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Joe. you had something to say. We're using the word servant um, quite a lot today. And I guess and that it is what it is. But we also are ambassadors for God and we're representatives of God. Um, and an ambassador speaks on behalf of his, his, his government or his, uh, those, you know, whoever sent him. So we also speak on God's behalf. And so we need to mind what we say. So it's not just a matter of servants because these days a servant has, well, probably a very low social status, <laughs> um, in, in the, in the world today. However, in serving God, it's an elevated position. It is an, an ambassador and a representative. So it's not demeaning to serve God because God uplifts us from where we are to a, a higher plane, a higher, more higher plane than we can imagine. As you have alluded to earlier um, from your favorite author, um, Helen, do you remember? You were saying that higher than any you know, plans or thoughts that we might have. God has these aspirations for his children, for mm. his servants, his ambassadors, representatives on this planet. So uh, I think if we keep that in mind, it's a more positive outlook, I suppose, in the, more, in the modern mindset. Yeah, that's what I was going to say in regard to service because I had the privilege to serve my country in the army. And that was a privilege and an honour to serve is not like uh, as the connotation of uh, uh, the lowest status, you know, the servants, you know, thinking of those people who are not important. Now, you have the privilege to serve. Good point. We have a privilege to serve Jesus, don't we? Well, we're just going to talk about the second servant, the other servant, um, in Isaiah 42, 1 to 7. Uh, Ken, would you kick us off, please, with Isaiah 42, verse 1? Sure. And I'm reading from the King James Version here. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. Okay, we're going to have a look through some characteristics of who this particular servant is. So we're going to start in Isaiah 42, verse 1, and see, we're going to look at the first part to start with. Ken, can you read, please, the first part again? Of Isaiah 42, 1 for us, and then follow it with Acts 10, 38. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delighteth. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And if we look at uh, Acts chapter 10 and 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So the servant is who? The servant of Jesus. Absolutely, absolutely, talking about Jesus. Okay, Joe, can you share us with us, please, Isaiah 42, verse 1, the second part, and also John 12, 31 and 32. Thank you. The second part of this uh Isaiah 42, verse 1, I think Ken's already read out, but it, it's worth reading again. I have put my spirit upon him. 
this is the servant, he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. And John 12, 31, 32 was fulfilled by Jesus. When, and when I am lifted up on the cross, I will draw everyone to me. He said this to indicate how he was going to die. So it's all about Jesus, isn't it? It is about Jesus and that he will draw everyone. There's nothing exclusive about Christ. He will draw everyone to him. Okay. Nick, Isaiah 42, verse 2, please, and Matthew 27, 13 and 14. All right, Helen. In uh, Isaiah 42, verse 2, continues to say about uh, his servant, he will not shout or raise his voice in public. And that was fulfilled in Jesus' life because in other parts of the Bible, he said that he went, you know, even to the slaughter like a lamb, you know, very quiet. I mean, he spoke when it was necessary, but uh, this fulfillment from uh, Isaiah 42 uh, came so visible in Jesus' life. And Matthew, Matthew 27, from verse 13 to 14, it says this, don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded, but Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much as the governor's surprise. He spoke not a mumbling word. No. Boy, we can learn a lot. I can learn a lot from that. Yes, absolutely. We want to fight back, don't we? Lydia wanted to comment. Yes, in this verse we observe that uh, when it says here in verse 2 of chapter 42 of Isaiah, he says he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. It means he accomplishes quietly and gently and successfully his goals. And he did. Jesus did do that. I feel a little condemned by that because I remember shouting at my youngest son in the street one day. I'm very ashamed of it. Um, got to the point we had this shouting match over the top of the car and people were walking past and staring at us and, and it wasn't until finally I, I pulled myself up and I, I think the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and I just said to him, time out. Let's just talk quietly, but yeah. We, we tend to do that. Nick, you wanted to say something. Yeah, I just quickly wanted to say, just we looked, you know, in the previous study, how Israel was um, facing the propaganda of their enemies. And people from other nations, you know, came into Israel when, uh, and shouting, you know, in the streets, you know, in their language to understand, to put fear in their hearts that uh, they are doomed. Even yes. though God, God is promising us all that he is with us. And Jesus fulfilled that thing. Jesus was living in his life and fulfilled all the prophecies of the Bible. He didn't need to use propaganda. He didn't need to uh, speak loudly, you know, in the, in the streets to convince people. And mm. probably today I like to make an application. In the Christendom today, sometimes we have the temptation to be very, very vocal, very, you know, lots of propaganda there. Now we need to just represent God in to be truthful to God, to serve him. And sometimes our lives will speak more than our words. 
Thank you. It reminds me of um, the walls of Jericho when they walked around the wall every day. Were they to talk? Were they to shout out? Not until the last day. Mm. And it was their witness of obeying God around there. Thank you for that. Lydia, Isaiah 42, 3 and 4 and um, Isaiah 53, 5. Would you share that with us, please? A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snap out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. And in chapter 53, verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. So we observe here that Jesus saves us from sin while he is strengthening our light and witnesses for him. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. It also gives me, it gives me courage when I think that, you know, he'll be there for a bruised reed or, and he was a bruised reed. But if we are bruised in any way, shape or form, he won't let us burn out completely. Yes, Joe. When I read this text, I I picture in my mind that someone who's trying to start a fire, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's just a bit of smoking twig and, and there is God is, is blowing across this smoking flax, trying to reignite the, the breath of life into his people to try and get the fire going again. And so we show it to me, it tells me that, um, that God is so interested in recreating, in rejuvenating life, in restoring rather than punishing, you know, destroying. He wants all to come to him so much so that he is there hovering over this smoking flax, breathing the breath of life, hoping that it will reignite. Yeah, bless you for that. So true. Um, Len, as we move on, we're on to Isaiah 42, verse 6. Well, of course, we are looking at um, prophecies about yes. the coming of Jesus, the mediator. And verse 6 of Isaiah 42 says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. Now, we know that Jesus was perfectly righteous. He never, ever sinned. And uh, he was to show the way of righteousness. But then that's only the first part of this verse. The second part goes on to say, I will take hold of your hand. Now, this is God the Father addressing Jesus through this prophecy. I will keep you and make you a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. Well, to all intents and purposes, we are Gentiles, unless you have Jewish blood running through your veins, and that's a pretty hard thing to prove these days. But um, he is a light to people like us because we uh, don't have a Jewish background, and yet we have embraced Christianity and all that goes with it. However, the verse also mentions, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people. Now, this is probably the greatest covenant that was ever ever given. It was given to uh, Abraham, 
to say that from one of his descendants, there was going to be somebody who would carry out God's justice. And this, of course, is talking about Jesus. And if you want to read that, and I was just busily trying to look it up, I think it's Genesis chapter 17 that um, Jesus would come and he would bring justice to the people. So Jesus would be our perfect substitute, our sacrifice, our saviour, and he would be a mediator of the covenant. Now, there were two covenants. There was an old covenant and a new covenant. They differed very slightly. The new covenant is found in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 15. Oh, no, it's not, but I'm (laughs) reading about it. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. And here it comes, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Just quickly, the major difference between the first and the new covenant, the first covenant applied to the Israelites as a nation, but the new covenant applies to people as individuals. Well, put my laws within their hearts rather than be a blank statement, but within our hearts. All right, well, I'd love to spend more time on this, but I've just seen that we're limited in the time remaining, so I'll have to curtail any further comments. Thank you, Len. Let's finish up on the characteristics of this particular uh, servant, who we believe is Jesus. Can read the final one, Isaiah 42, 7 for us, please. To open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. Now, initially when you first read this, you think you look at it exactly as it says, but I think it's a much deeper meaning here because it's the people that are blind, not necessarily that they cannot see uh, physically, but uh, spiritually they cannot see. And this was Jesus coming to open their eyes that they could see the truth and where they were. And to bring them out of prison, I believe, was the prison of the sins that they were were in and they had no hope until they received Jesus. And although he did heal the people when he came, it was also a spiritual healing as well. Thank you. Thank I'd just like to make a quick comment about prison. Uh, everybody is in prison, a prison of sin, until released from prison through the grace of God. Okay. Um, uh, in this verse that uh, just Ken read, that's a, a beautiful verse. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. This was Jesus' mandate. He did that when he was on earth working with people and serving them. And exactly the, the same one is ours, is our mandate to, to work for people, to open their eyes, to free captives from prison, telling them that Jesus is the only one saver that will release them from their sins and uh, uh, they will be free. If they will stay in darkness, they will be captives. But if they will receive Jesus, they will be freed and they will live in light. Thank you. It was a messianic prophecy we've just looked at, isn't it? Um, And I think it's very sad that there are many in the nation of Israel that have rejected this. I came across a quote by Richard Haney and he said, 
he found himself in trouble in uh, John Buchanan's novel, The 39 Steps. He discovered vital information that will ensure that Britain wins World War I, but German spies are watching him, so he was forced to disguise himself and to reveal his identity to his allies secretly by singing an obscure Scottish ditty. The plan succeeds. The watching Germans do not recognise the song, so under their noses he is able to warn the British how to save their fleet from swift destruction. The people of Judah are about to be in far worse trouble than this Richard Hanna. They were about to be conquered by the Babylonians, and then there was the Persians and so on. The Lord gave four songs in the Book of Comfort, whom the Messiah will sing under the noses of their enemies so that those in the know will recognise him for who he is. They are known as the four servant songs. And the first one we've talked about now is in um, Isaiah 42, 1 to 4. Second one, Isaiah 49, 1 to 6. Isaiah 50 and Isaiah 52. They prophesy about the Messiah, about Jesus, but their lyrics are deliberately obscured to hide the truth from unfriendly ears. So there is another um, section in here we need to discover very quickly. And there is a most important, stunning prediction. Hang on to your seats. We're going to discuss in just a moment. But, Nick, please share with us Isaiah 42.8. Yes, Helen, I believe this uh, verse is um, so important yes. for us all to consider because it says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else, not share my praise with carved idols and i want to make a comment here because the temptation is to follow good people good men gurus leaders whatever in this world but god is clearly telling us that he is the only god he doesn't want to share that uh, uh, you know his name and and his glory with anybody else or anything else like any idols and anything which we may come across in between me and him. Oh, Amen. Absolutely. Lynn? When Moses came across something strange, a bush that was burning and wasn't consumed, it was an introduction to him at that time to God, where God wanted him to go to free the Israelites who were slaves in Egypt. And uh, Moses tried to make all sorts of excuses. He has been called the world's most humble man ever. He, he was just afraid to go. And he eventually got around to asking the Lord. Now, he wasn't taking on himself the glory. He said, who shall I say that sent me? And God gave the answer, I am. And here we have that again in that verse that Nick read, I am the Lord. Now, I'd like to make another quick comment. At the beginning of the Ten Commandments, God says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, it sounds a little bit like God is being selfish, but you know, there is no better way than to serve the Lord and to honour the Lord because he knows what's best. He is best. So it's not a matter of God being jealous. It's just simply saying the other things that you're putting your worship toward is a total waste of time. It won't do you any good. So therefore, it's in your own best interest to serve me. 
I am the Lord, that's my name. I'll not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Thank you. I think it's interesting to note that the I am in the Hebrew was ego I me. And the reason I bring that up is because Jesus used exactly the same phrase when he said, I am the light of the word. It was exactly the same. Uh, Lydia, you wanted to comment? Or in other words, we can say that God said that if you love me with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your being you cannot share that love with anyone else just love me fully love me 100 percent. the interesting thank you Lydia. the interesting thing about that is in loving god you can't help but like the letter l for love the love then flows back to you and then out to others you will automatically love others through god but let's move on we've got the stunning prediction we've got a short time i'm excited about this panel Let's share Isaiah 44 and 45, 26 to verse 6. It's an absolute stunning prediction, and I want you to share what it is and what evidence do we have that it came true. Joe, would you read the text for us, please? I'm reading from the Living Bible, and it says, But what my prophets say I do when they say Jerusalem will be delivered and the cities of Judah lived in once again, it shall be done. When I speak to the rivers and say be dry, they shall be dry. When I say of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he will certainly do as I say, and Jerusalem will be rebuilt and the temple restored, for I have spoken it. This is Jehovah's message to Cyrus, God's anointed, whom he has chosen to conquer many lands. God shall empower his right hand and he shall crush the strength of mighty kings. God shall open the gates of Babylon to him. The gates shall not be shut against him any more. I will go before you, Cyrus, and level the mountains and smash down the city gates of brass and iron bars. And I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness, secret riches, and you will know that I am doing this. I, the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by your name. And why have I named you for this work? For the sake of Jacob, my servant, Israel, my chosen. I called you by name when you didn't know me. I am Jehovah. There is no other God. I will strengthen you and send you out to victory, even though you don't know me. And all the world from east to west will know there is no other God. I am Jehovah and there is no one else. I alone am God. Wow. What is so, sorry, what is so stunning about this? Yes. Talking about the future. Yeah. This um, particular prophecy was given around about 150 years before Cyrus ever lived. Now, if you think... And his what, name, I've got to jump in here. His name was mentioned yes, as well. His, his I, I'm name, just blown away by this. His yep. name was given. He was described as God's servant. And he did accomplish something that God had promised. But when you think about the possibility of saying that in 150 years' time, there will be this certain individual who will carry out my plans. I can't even predict 20 years in the future. <laughs> can you predict tomorrow? Well, I can, but I might be wrong. But this is something very remarkable. It shows that God can see right into the future. And he mentioned Cyrus by name that he would carry out God's plans because he called him my servant. The point that I get here, and I think this is rather remarkable, 
Cyrus was God's servant. Moses was God's servant. Paul was God's servant. What about me? Hmm. Did God know that I wanted to be his servant or would be his servant before I was ever born? Probably. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? But we have to be careful we don't go onto the side of predestination here because although God knows the future, he also knows the choices that we will make. Thank you for that. I think the other important thing about this whole story is not only the fact that he was named, it is how he captured the city which is just, look, you know, if, if, um, listener, if you have not read the story, go into Isaiah 44 and, and read it. It's just amazing. But Joe, you wanted to make a comment. I'd just like to draw our attention to Daniel 2.21, where it says world events are under his control. He removes kings and sets others on their thrones. He gives wise men their wisdom and scholars their intelligence. That's also from the Living Bible. It just shows that God while he doesn't predestine, he does control, he does have a final say in what happens to what happens on this planet, particularly when it's related to the plan of salvation. So um, Cyrus, he was an obedient servant. Now, I guess if he hadn't been, well, God would have foreknown that, but even if he hadn't been, um, someone else would have taken his place. And, you know, I think maybe we should keep that in mind too, that if we don't serve God, there will always be someone that someone else that God will choose. So, um, and we have examples of that in Scripture as well, and in history, and in history. So, let's be faithful to the Lord. Amen. Oh, just on predestination, this can be very, uh, you know, important for many people because I came across it. Many Christians who believe who believe in predestination, predestination takes out the freedom of choice. If you believe in predestination, Mm. then you don't have any choice, which is not true. In this case, even Cyrus, he had a choice. We have a choice. Mm -hmm. And uh, they choose to fulfill God's plan. Mm -hmm. Now, God is omniscient. He knows everything from the beginning to the end. But he is not predestined things to happen. Yes, that's true. Um, Lynn? Yes, very quick comment. I'm aware, too, that there are people who believe that God has a list and he picks out various ones and they are the redeemed. So uh, regardless of all the choices that God gives people, this particular belief is called particular redemption. And I believe it's false teaching because if we go back to John 3.16, The verse says, whosoever believes in him, that gives us the choice, not God the choice. I believe God wants everybody in his kingdom, and he chooses everybody. Nobody is excluded, but God can't force us to believe and to accept what's being done for us. So therefore, this belief in particular redemption is false based on just the one verse and plenty of other verses to go with it. It's up to us to make that choice in order to have redemption. Thank you. Let's wrap up. Uh, Lydia, we have a quote from Matthew Henry. Could you share that with us and, and wrap up this part about Cyrus for us, please? Cyrus is called God's anointed. He was designed and qualified for his great service by the counsel of God. The gates of Babylon, which led to the river, were left open 
the night that Cyrus marched his army into the empty channel. The Lord went before him, giving entrance to the cities he besieged. He gave him also treasures which had been hidden in secret places. The true God was to Cyrus an unknown God, yet God foreknew him. He called him by his name. The exact fulfillment of this must have shown Cyrus that Jehovah was the only true God and that it was for the sake of Israel that he was prospered. In all the changes of states and kingdoms, God works out the good of his church. Thank you so, so much. I think we need to wrap it up now, panel. I appreciate all your comments. And I'm going to ask Ken to give us just a very brief summary of our um, study today and then finish with prayer for us. Thank you. Well, deliverance requires a deliverer. God's servant nation would be delivered by two deliverers, Cyrus, who would set up the captives free from Babylonian exile, and an unnamed servant, whose identity as the Messiah is progressively revealed. This servant would restore justice and bring the community of survivors back to God. And as we have seen today, that servant was Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this wonderful words we have shared today over the earth. We thank you, Lord God, for all the wisdom that's in these words and the information, Lord God, proves beyond a doubt that you and Jesus are with all your people today and that you want everyone on the heavens to turn to you. Just pray, Lord God, that all the listeners, Heavenly Father, would look into these things and check them out for themselves. We know, Heavenly Father, the world is a mess at the moment and getting worse. Time is running short. Jesus, our wonderful Saviour, is soon to return. We pray, Lord, that you open their eyes and hearts as you've done in the past so that they too can receive the wonderful blessing of the Holy Spirit. We ask this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for participating today to this Bible study. It was very important and maybe, you know, not that easy to grasp everything there. But one thing which remains with me is that if I choose to serve God, then I'll be in God's plan to save others. This is not only for myself. This is for everybody else. What a privilege to be enrolled in this mission, to say so, to save the world, to save others. And uh, we are inviting you to come back with us again when we are going to look into another uh, interesting um, topic, doing the unthinkable. Until then, may God richly bless you and continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus.